directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom for the day, we must endure the present so that those who follow may continue our endeavours. Hello gamers and welcome to episode 86 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you join us for the first time, we are a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium. Using the gaming systems now available, or not available right now, but soon to be available from Ulysses North America, in the past from uh, Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, we cover off any of the sort of role-playing options and we also talk quite a bit about 40k, so hopefully if you join us for the first time, it's a, you enjoy the show. Before we jump into what we're going to cover in the show, we normally do talk a bit about our gaming experiences in the past sort of couple of weeks so let's just see what we've done we played did we get some D in the we last did get, we get some, some D&D the last time we played that was our first one after our dragon encounter was that right so yeah, 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 yeah. which was really just travelling was travelling yeah but that's right because we hadn't done any sort of role play of any measurable quantity for about five or six sessions while we dungeon crawled so yeah, yeah. yeah there was a tiny bit of role play would you say it's yeah there was a tiny bit of role play plus we had to deal with some you know, ideas about what the hell we were actually doing. Yep, and then wandering monsters. And then wandering monsters because it, yeah. it's D&D. It is D&D, that's right, yep. 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 So uh, I ran my Scion game, and that was great for me because uh, one of my Scion players was at Gen Con, so he had a whole bunch of swag for me, including the uh, the reprint of the original Rogue Trader uh, 40k book, uh, the Revelations uh, manual that was released by Ulysses North America at Gen Con, along with several other books I was waiting for. So uh, I actually picked up a copy of Starfinder. Uh, I've not been a big Pathfinder player, but yeah. I thought I'd give Starfinder a look, see how they do with... See that. how it goes. Yeah, that's it. So, and I, I think there's already a Starfinder society, and people doing organised play games as well. So, I mean, I literally, I haven't even cracked the book yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've got it there, ready to go. Um, ready to sit it on your shelf for the next six months before you crack it open. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I also, actually, I got down to my, uh, my local gaming store, and I ran a session of uh, Shadowrun. So I'm actually, you know, I think I might have mentioned the show before, I'm a Catalyst Games or Catalyst Labs demo agent. Uh, so I organized to do some Shadow Ambitions organized play at my local gaming store and got some players. They were all fresh to 5th uh, edition Shadowrun, so it was good. So there was no people who knew like, when I was making mistakes with the rules. And uh, Were they fresh to Shadowrun completely? Uh, I think that at least one of them had sort of played like a long time ago. Yeah. You know, so and, and the others had actually done quite a good job of researching before playing the game. So so what I did was I, I went to the gaming store, I basically posted on their Facebook page saying, I want to run a game, happy to do 40k RPG, Star Wars, Shadowrun, you know, Call of Cthulhu, a few things I like. I got the most interest for Shadowrun. Uh, I, you know, once again, being a demo agent, I should be doing it from time to time. I thought I'll do missions. It's, it's non-confrontational. It's drop in, drop out. Don't need to worry about a full campaign group. Yep. and uh, advertised that for the day and I had one player so he wanted to come along with a mate of his another player sort of joined up on the day so it was good I got three players which you know not a big group but still it was fun and there was actually a, a magic tournament going on in the store at the time and I actually had magic players come over going oh what's that you know you guys are making you know having a lot of fun laughing a lot what, what are you actually doing over there so got yeah, to did, of... did you tell them fun <laughs> it's something you wouldn't know about being a magic player <laughs> they seemed to be having fun doing what they were doing well I suppose it's, so it's, yeah, it's, 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 
I've just never really been a huge fan of um, collectible card games. Yeah. It's funny though, so I've been at this store quite a bit recently, actually checking it out and seeing what's going on, and I've seen that uh, there's a big Age of Sigma following at this store as well. So the, I think the the store manager and some other players who go there regularly are all playing Age of Sigma. I mean, I haven't followed fantasy for such a long time, yeah. but they're really keen on it, you know. So, and I heard that one of the reasons that Age of Sigma was a success now is the fact that they've gone back to this sort of concept of monstrous heroic. Yeah, characters it, rather than it, just armies of a, of a hundred gutter, gutter runners or a hundred skeletons or all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, my 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 hundred and twenty skeletons and zombie combination is no longer required. No, that's right. No, you need um, a, a not, not, that board. not that I've played fantasy in probably about three or four editions. I wouldn't be yes. sure. What, what was it when we were working with you? Was it like second edition back then? Was it or no? It's it more than that. I can't even remember to be okay. honest because it. Because you were saying it was third edition Warhammer was launched when you were at GW, and you 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 left uh, after third, I left, third so. edition forty k left was when I was there. Yeah, it okay. came out just as I was leaving. Okay, like okay. as in I left, and they still gave me a, a staff copy of it okay. the week after I left because I left a week before it came out. So. Nice. Okay, yeah, which they, was they, nice. They, they still liked you. You didn't didn't leave them bad. You, you didn't no. you slam your slam your, your no, I, I, t-shirt I, down I, on the counter and say you can burn this. No, I did. I did not burn bridges as I left. No, no, um, no. Okay, that's good. So, you know, I try not to. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, I also actually got to play some Eighth uh, Edition 40k finally myself, and uh, uh, I, I got my Ultramarines out there and did a two thousand point game against a Inari army, which was an interesting game. So, I think that um, so I, I hadn't played yet. I hadn't fully digested the rules. I just read the sort of quick start guide, and I think that my opponent was probably not as I found the rules himself, particularly in regards to close combat, because he didn't have a close combat heavy army. So we were sort of negotiating on the rules for close combat. I think it was a bit closer to uh, 7th edition than 8th edition. Like, we forgot about pistols in close combat, and then we were doing morale, the old sort of count-up wounds, yeah. and, you know, roll under your morale sort of thing. So yeah, you... under your leadership, that was completely wrong. And... Uh, so you guys had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea. We had fun. That was it. Yeah. It was a draw, at least as well. And I think that a couple of the times, I'm pretty sure my opponent activated the same unit multiple times in a single single time per turn. But I mean, that wasn't important. What I did was I had fun, and it was funny because he could not roll at all. It was terrible. Like he he was he had um, the the Incarn, you know, the new sort of Eldar god character yeah. um, that decided to charge my uh, uh, my. Uh, Predator Annihilator in close combat and when you when you do Overwatch you only hit on a 6 so I rolled my 4 dice for Lance Cannons and got like 3 sixes, and proceeded to gun the Incarn down before it even got into combat with my tank as such you know despite having you know it, it also had the Warlord trait where it could you know roll 6 to avoid wounds after everything else and it's invulnerable save it just, it just got really unlucky anything. and yeah. just got gunned down by the tank so awesome <laughs> Fun game though. Anyway, death so. to the pointy ears. Yeah, and I've been watching. Um, actually, been watching a lot of battle reports, particularly on YouTube. I, I found a channel called Striking Scorpion eighty two that does these really good battle reports. This guy, I think it's his brother. I think because they got the same surname when they hit in the credits. Um, but yeah, they do a lot of stuff. They they primarily do Tau, Astra Militarum, Blood Angels, Ultramarines, Imperial Fists, Orcs, Necrons, Tyranids. Eldar, I think, are the armies I've seen so far in 8th edition. They may have more armies they've done in 7th edition or earlier as well. So, okay. uh, Actually, it's the first YouTube channel I've actually paid to sign up to to get access to their premium content because 
they do some battle reports on you know the free service and some on the on the pay service and it's good. I think it's like um, seven Australian dollars a month, you know. And I, and I watch it more than I watch Netflix at the moment, so I pay more for Netflix. Okay. So Fair no, no, I, I, I do rate it. You know, I, I make sure I include these links in uh, in the show notes as well. Yep. But we babbled on for a bit. What are we going to talk about today? So first off, we'll start off with some news. Uh, then secondly, we have an interview. Uh, and actually, at the time of recording this, we're pretty much right on the Warhammer 30th anniversary. But our interview actually necessitates us getting approval from GW before we can actually publish and go to air so i don't know how much later from when we recorded you guys listening to this but there there will be some sort of delay there while we wait for the for the go-ahead and there's uh, also the distinct possibility that it could be delayed enough that we uh forego the interview in this episode and have to put it into a later episode in which case we apologize yeah i suppose that's possible yeah but i mean look ho- hopefully we you know we've recorded this on the 30th anniversary Hopefully we can get out before the 31st anniversary of, of yes. 40K. But, uh, I think it should be fine. I, no, I I, I, there was nothing confrontational in the interview, as, you, as you'll hear shortly. But uh, yeah, that, that's well, I, I, Other than the distinct question of, so, why do you suck? <laughs> I edited that one out, Mike. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then we'll... Um, I want to do a review still. We haven't done a review for a while. But I'm going to review the original 40K Rogue Trader. I think that's a nice oh. little sort of... A throwback or callback for our beginning. It's the anniversary, uh, and then let's just have a, a quick conversation after that about the whole 30th anniversary of 40k, how it's changed over the years, what we've got forward, what we've got to look forward to as well. Yeah, we'll do a little bit more speculation. I think most of our shows for the next probably year or so are going to be mostly speculation, um, but you know we'll see how we go, and uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy the show. We will move on, on, shall we? Yes. Okay. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. So news-wise, maybe a bit quiet. So first of all, we'll say um, on the RPG side, there's really been no news since the Gen Con announcement. Yep. Uh, so, you know, still make sure if you haven't yet, you get onto the website, you follow for updates and such. But I think that uh, really it's early days. In, in the early We have to assume that uh, there's still got a way to go. But, you know, we'll just watch this space, see what happens. And yeah, I, underst- to... I understand that they'll be doing designer diaries. Or... Yeah, I think there was some mention of that as well, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. I mean... so there should be stuff coming out as they create it, I suppose. Yeah. We don't know any time frames here. I mean, it's still very early days. Yeah, I mean, I can say that... Um, so I don't know how much of this was FFG's policy versus when Ross was actually uh, at, the hel- at the helm of the RPG line in FFG, but there was very good communication uh, through the early stages of... You know, of Dark Heresy, of, of Road Trader, of Death Watch, etc. I mean, I mean that, that runs through all the way till Dark Heresy Second Edition. There was good communication well out from release as well in terms of looking at segments of a book as such and what's going to happen and everything. So I think that, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how Ulysses handles this going forward. So, uh, yeah, I've been just watching it with rapt attention. Yeah. Uh, on the GW side, I mean, obviously the big news is the 30th anniversary of Warhammer 40K. I think we'll talk about that in some greater detail shortly. But in terms of releases, so Mike, you'd be excited that it's all Death Guard? Death Guard at the moment, yeah. 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 You, you, you saw the Death Guard dice? Yeah. Yes, yes, I've ordered the Death Guard yeah, that's dice. it. So I, I was very impressed with these. So as you might know, there's there's Space Marine dice and various other dice you can get, but they've released specific Death Guard dice with the Death Guard, which are filled with a sort of soft rubbery sack that sort of boulders into the the numbers, the numbers as like little sort of pustules you, you would not believe how controversial they are on Facebook really people saying that they will not roll properly they'll be banned from tournaments because they're not going to land correctly they're, they're weighty to funny and all this sort of thing I'm thinking 
Really? They're just fun dice. If they roll numbers... Um, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. No dice that you're going to get from Games Workshop or, or most games companies, even someone like Chessex, unless you buy their casino-quality dice, they're not going to be perfectly balanced. Yeah. None yes. of them are. Yeah. It's just we, a fact. It's right, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it, with gaming, you take a risk that there is a minor sort of adjustment to dice, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be... Yeah, I, I mean, if they don't quite roll right and they're not quite balanced... Okay, so what number are they going to land on more often? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> How does that really affect well, anything? I think what we need to do is we need to get a, a team together, a university probably, to roll a million Nurgle dice and record the results and look at trends. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a million dice is good enough to get a trend line, you reckon? Or? Uh, yeah, I, th- I actually read one, and it was talking about Chessex dice, and they yeah. did 100,000 rolls Okay, yeah. to, to get the, an average curve on three different companies' worth of dice. It was done in full scientific study thing. Yeah, because you would also think that like that many rolls, you'll be wear and tear on the dice as well that will actually affect the... I mean, don't, I'm sure I've got role-playing dice that have been rolled more than 100,000 times, but I'm also sure that the any changes to the dice on the physical level are probably imperceptible, but still there. Yeah. yeah every, everything... Yeah, it's, um, everything the, the, decays. Yes. <laughs> very very nerve. Yeah, atrophy. Atrophy is, is, it affects everything, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and they did their full study, and they actually concluded that there was a difference between... The various dice. I think they did Chessex. They did another company. And they did the Chessex Casino quality dice. Okay. And the difference between the Casino quality dice and the normal dice was about a point four percent swing um, towards lower numbers on the non-Casino quality dice. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. Like, if I if you just said to me, "Here's a dice. Which do you, way do you think it's going to roll?" Because it's not perfectly weighted. I'd assume that the one was going to end on the bottom because the one's got the least cut out of it as such in terms of the holes in it you know with the, with the heavier side but i don't know why but it, this is just based on trends yeah that's true. so i mean yeah. it could have just been the set that they got was slightly weighted off from another set and if they'd used a different set because they used the same set for the whole hundred thousand rolls yeah i mean yeah i mean we're getting into the into the things we've got a friend who we game with who refuses to use computer or app-based dice rolling programs because he thinks that they're inaccurate and they won't give you a truly chaotic number. Yeah, well, I mean, that is the whole thing. Is It's actually impossible for an electronic system to deliver you know, truly random results. If you were to talk about like millions upon millions of iterations as such, there would be a bias because of the way that the clocking works as such. But I mean, for the, once again, for the purpose of a role-playing game, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I, I find it easy because been, we've been doing that D&D campaign. I've been using... Um, uh, Fight Club. There's an app called Fight Club for uh, the iPad, which I use to track my character. And that does all the dice rolling in it. You know, you just click on the skill and it just rolls the dice and adds your skill value, that sort of stuff. And you can put in yeah. spell effects and modifiers and everything as well. And I think that's fine. You know, and what's more, because we play on the couch, um, you know, and I've, I've been wrapped across the knuckle once again by my wife by all the dents in my coffee table from all the times people have used metal dice or whatever on the table. So I'm happy just to roll it on the, the iPad with the with the app and it's fine yeah, and people mock me or I suppose look I can see there'd be the problem where people uh, uh, you know just keep hitting the buttons they get what they want which is what when I when people use electronic dice programs not to be uh, to be rude here but my brother was prone to doing that with normal dice that's true (laughs) what what I do with electronic dice programs is if if I want to if I have a person I think is being dodgy 
I'll ask them to make sure the sound is on and turned up because you can always, you know, a lot of the things, they make a roll sound when you roll. Yeah. And if they, if it, I hear rolling, 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 oh, I got 20, then I'm pretty sure I know what's going on there. Yeah. You know, but I mean, again, there's luck involved. There's, I, I mentioned again, I was watching that, that YouTube channel, the Striking Scorpion 82, and I've watched probably 10, I'm guessing about, they've done about 10 8th edition battle reports. And I reckon probably seven of those the one player is seized initiative. So you only seize initiative on a, on a, on a D6 roll with a natural with a six. Yeah. And in one of those cases, the person actually used a stratagem to re-roll and got a six. But, you know, seven out of ten games, someone has rolled a six, six. On, on a single guy, you know, so anything is possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been sort of thinking about, okay, so Mike's got a Death Guard army. I've got Marines. What are going to be the best forces to fight what? You know, because Death Guard have five toughness, three plus saves, and disgusting resilient, you know. So do I want to pour more firepower and just hope to roll five and sixes? Do I want to go for big numbers and hope he misses? You know, that sort of stuff. It's all statistic, but at the end of the day, it's it's also just luck. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, right. absolutely. I've had to gaunt kill something, you know, powerful. I've had gaunts kill Terminators before. I've had Gene Sealers fail to kill Guardsmen. I mean, well, sometimes you're just unlucky. I was telling you the other day that I watched this awesome uh, battle recently, which was Blood Angels versus uh, Tyranids. And it was literally, the dice, the, the game was decided on a single dice roll at the end of the day. Because they have the new rule now where at the end of turn five, you roll a dice to see if the game continues. Uh, on a one or two, it stops. On a three to six, it continues. And then you roll again on turn six, and it's like a higher chance. And then the game always ends after turn seven, regardless. Uh, but anyway, so at the end, of, so they were doing a mission where there was a objective to capture. It was all based upon this one objective, as such. And at the end of turn five, the Blood Angels player parked his um, uh, gunship over that that objective and put it in hover mode so it could claim because flyers can't normally claim objectives. And that was it. He was the closest model. The turn ended. If he rolled a one or a two, game over, he won. He rolled a six. The Tyranids got to go. They absolutely swarmed the gunship with 30, 30 Gene Steelers and hacked it out of the sky. And that was it. Game over. Gene Steelers won. Yeah. So literally that dice was what decided it. You know, that there was, the gunship was never going to survive yeah, 30 I've, Gene Steelers attack. Yeah, so. it's just like that scene from World War Z with zombies, except for it was Gene Steelers. <laughs> That's it. Probably worse. <laughs> That's it. Um, all right, so we've also heard a bit more about what's coming up with 40K. Yep. So there were some rumors it was going to be all focused on um, Chaos and Imperium forces. But that seems to have been... I've heard from a few sources that turned around now, and what we're looking at coming up is Tyranids, uh, Craftworld Eldar, and um, Astra Militarum before the end of the year. Yeah, so and, and... We've also got Admet coming as well, so Dex Mechanicus, Mechanicus next week. Yeah, that, yeah. that was already announced and everything as well, so... Yeah. Do you know any Adeptus Mechanicus players at all? Have you seen much with the Adeptus Mechanicus forces? I'll be honest, the only Adeptus Mechanicus I've ever played against and really seen is in Horus Heresy, and they're scary. Yeah. In actual 40k, um, no, I haven't... I don't, I don't know much about them, really. I've got to say, it's, it's, a, it's an army which came into the game after my involvement. Like, Skatari were around as a concept, you know. I, I was oh, familiar yeah. with that whole sort of Mars concept as such, but I've never really seen them as a force in the war game and uh yeah i, I just don't know i've, I've got it. I, I recently picked up the triumvirate of the imperium so i've got belisaurus call you know ready to go should i choose to ever build an admech army or put him in as an ally but you know it's a it's a ridiculous figure it's, it's, it's so busy <laughs> i don't know how you work out painting it as well i've just looked but, at it as plastic and gone i don't know yeah well i mean 
it's like someone took a John Blanchard paint, painting and just sort of went, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's make this into a model. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Actually, that's a good point because I mean, forty k artwork is very busy. Yeah, oh, there's always a lot of detail. busy. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, exciting time for the game. We actually uh, on Saturday. Saturday. Saturday we went to yes. the local GW because, from what I understand, Saturday, which was the ninth, was the actual thirtieth anniversary. And it was also the, I think, fourth anniversary of our local Games Workshop store. Third. Third? Third anniversary okay. store, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we went along and they had their special birthday-only miniature, which we missed out on because we got there too late, but apparently you can still order it. I can pick one up on Thursday, yep. uh, which is my unplayable Primaris Captain because there's no rules for a Primaris Captain with those weapons in the main book. Yeah. Even, even, even if I get the data card, it's not in Battlescribe. How am I supposed to put it into my army list, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, problem. That's first world problem, uh, and also the uh, the 30th anniversary uh, Primaris Lieutenant too, or Primaris Sergeant. Um, yeah, and then I also bought a bunch of stuff, and they were giving away bags of just bits for your own for your modelling excitement as well. So I got a bag of tank bits with orky bits as well. So in case I choose to make some orc stuff. some some looted looted rhinos or something, or well, you can also use orc bits on. Um... As, as trophy poles for your marines because they take trophies as well yeah I mean lo- loads of people seem to forget this sort of thing but chaos aren't the only people who hack heads off and stick them on <laughs> stick them on poles I, yeah. mean, I mean marines do it all the time as well it depends right. on depends a lot on the chapter yeah I mean ultramarines probably not quite so much but I can make my scenery more orky as well yeah you know, I've got plenty of scenery I can put you know Absolutely. All logos up on and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I, I've actually been... Oh, it's been good getting back into modeling again. Like I bought, went and bought some sand recently and getting some, some flock and getting Ooh, my PVA on and everything, you know. So I started oh, to... PVA takes forever to dry. It still pisses me off. Yeah, I, actually, I've got to say, I discovered Super Glue Activator for the first time the other day yeah, as well, yeah. which I've now learned is both toxic and carcinogenic. Yes. So, you know, avoid overusing it. But I was amazed. Like I, was, I had this one grey knight that would... Metal grey knight that would not stick together the arm just kept falling off and yeah literally within five seconds you know glue on put it together spray it solid bond but i have heard though that the uh, the long-term bond of using app of using the um uh activator is not as good as if it was a natural drying of the ca glue it, it depends on which activator you use okay. i always used to well, back in the day when i used activator which wasn't that often i, yep. I had a, a two-part one where you just painted it on rather than sprayed it on okay. and you just used it like a two-part epoxy so glue on one side activate yeah, on the yeah, other sandwich them together and bam start okay now this one's basically like a spray and it was, so i was using the army painter so army painter glue army painter um activator because i i really i'm not a fan of those when you buy GW super glue now you get those little tiny squeeze yeah things that like they're good for like one miniature each or such and sure you get like five or six in the box there but yeah I, I miss my old P2 glue glue from Privateer which finally went bad recently now it's more just gum now instead of instead of glue <laughs> but uh, no this this yeah. stuff is pretty good and, and it was great with activator as well so I, I swear by activator I will probably die of cancer much younger than I would have otherwise but I'm gonna do my metal figures not that I'm going to buy any more metal figures anymore I'm, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm sold on plastic you know, I'm now I'm a plastic crack whore now no, because, well, wait until you get some resin 
Yeah, I look at it. The resin's fine as well, but yeah, uh, and I suppose when I want to start putting like resin and plastic together, that's true. Well, so resin and resin together, you can't use the plastic glue for that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, another thing that's coming out shortly is their new painting app. Yep. And there's a competition involved as well. All you have to do is download the app when it first comes out. That's right. And every day between the app's release and one week after that, they're doing a draw. Yep. And, and they give away as a big thing of paint. It's not like a big... Yeah, yeah. a full yeah. set of every base, shade, and yep. layer paint they have. So, you know. I actually picked up a new app this week from GW as well, which is the uh, Black, sorry, Black Library Audio app, um, which has... You know, I, I keep talking about how I love these audiobooks and that sort of thing. Oh. And so, uh, yeah, they've got a lot of audiobooks on there. Uh, you can buy them on your iTunes account as well. Yep. And uh, sort of, let's say... 15 Australian dollars for an hour to an hour and a half long audiobook. So, yeah. Notice also that they've announced that they're doing, uh, sorry, they're releasing uh, Black and Red, the audiobook, as an actual novel now. Yeah, so what they're doing is so James Swallow wrote two books, which is uh, Fire and Fight, Faith and Fire, and then Hammer and Anvil, and then Black and Red was the audiobook they did, and they're doing an omnibus, which is those three, so, so the original two novels. Plus the novelization, or, or at least the, the script of Black and Red, plus a previously unreleased um, James Follow uh, story as well. Yeah, should be yeah, good in, in an old format. Yeah, so yeah, I'll definitely get that a look. I, I quite enjoy. I actually, so I read Faith and Fire. I think I'm going to go about halfway through Hammer and Anvil, but I certainly like like Black and Red is one of my favourite audio books, and it was so well put together. Um, yeah, it had a, had a good story too, so yeah. I quite like that anyway. But uh, yeah, so right now I've actually been going through. They've done two audio dramas that are actually broken into three chapters each around the whole Gathering Storm. So there's one that follows uh, Greyfax recovering one artifact for Gulliman and then a second one which covers um, Ivrain from the uh, the Inari collecting the other artifact for Gulliman as well since there was a sort of brief brief alliance around the sort of the whole thing with Gulliman working with the Eldar as well. So yeah. you must have must have remembered his old mate, that half Eldar Ultramarine from first edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from uh, the, what was the novel called? Space Marine, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how things have changed. Yeah, I think so, that's it. Although, going back, RGW store did have a one of their glass display cases on the weekend, did have, they asked players who had old miniatures, so there were squats in there, there yeah, was a Zote. Zote, yeah, Thud Guns. Um, there were all, like, first first Grey Knights were there. Yeah. Um, yeah, some old plastic marines, metal marines. Uh, yeah, there's some crates there. That, that that big box set of Space Dwarves. Remember the plastic Space Dwarves box set? They yeah, had? yeah, yeah. Yeah, plus, obviously, original editions of um, 40K Rogue Trader and the Companion as well. So, yeah. it, was, it was, for those of us that have been in the game since the very beginning, it was great to sort of see that nostalgic value coming out too, so... I still, although the index promised, you know, you could use any miniature you had. I've got no way to use my my um, my zotes or my my trikes, my um my uh, uh, squat trikes. Ah, still. squat trike. <laughs> oh. Squat forge lord in in exo armor. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, sorry, ancestor lord. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Oh. So I think that's probably that'll cover off the forty k side. Computer game wise, I mean, they had the release of uh, Warhammer Total War two. Now, which is back in the fantasy line, obviously, but I think that the um, the the forty k side has been a bit quiet recently. I, I I've sort of given well, up on a few Marvel games. So I've gone and put uh, Death Watch and Space Wolf back on my phone again. I've been playing those again. Yeah, have you been following the stuff about uh, Inquisitor Mart? 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I um, haven't fired it up for a long while. Last time I fired it up, I was a bit disappointed with it. And yeah, so they've released it now as a, as a more open, even more yeah, open. Yeah, so Steam, Steam Early Access. Yeah, Steam so, so I had access. access to it because I had dot, I'd got like the you know um, pre-order access, and now it's gone to regular Early Access. But still, in the minute, so there's only only two of the three characters are in the game currently, and only about ten missions, and it hasn't really got the storyline currently. Yeah. Um, so but it's the, still coming along. It's still looking pretty good. Yeah. The, the last time I played it, what I found was I tried to play the assassin, and it seems that it's just not possible to play a melee character in the game currently. You know, you need to be able to. It's pretty. I've watched people play it on YouTube right now, where they pretty much run forward, gather up the enemies, run back, and then shoot at them as they're coming close to them. When they get a bit too close, run back a bit further, shoot at them more. You know, so it's like this constant fallback action in order to avoid taking too much damage. Because yeah, you 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 run ahead to you know attack groups like you would in Diablo, and just there's so much firepower that you just get. Shot to pieces. Shot to pieces, that's it, yeah. 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 So. And um, there's been some movement from... I can't remember the company name. They, they're bringing their Necromunda forwards. Okay. Uh, Necromunda computer game. They're the same mob who did uh, Wartime. Okay, all right. So, yeah, so they're, they're moving on with that, and that's looking pretty well, good I think there's well. some Necromunda fever at the moment with the yeah, new yeah. release coming as well, so... Definitely. Yep. Actually, I've got to say, too, that I've been... So I mentioned before I've been doing some like a home campaign with my son of uh, uh, Shadow War Again. And finally, in the fourth round, we finally had a character die. Yeah. yeah the Grey Knights, Grey Knights Commander. Uh, oh, died. of course, yeah, it had to be the Grey Knights Commander. It's like 400 points with it because you lose all the gear too, and he had a demon hammer, and that was it. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> they have been effectively neuted for the what rest of the What killed him? Um, was it something embarrassing as well? Was it like an orc boy who stabbed him in the head or something? No, what, no. What? I think what, what forced me finding, I, I think it was. Might have been against Eldar, I think, but they just got like so. We've been doing the random uh, scenario generation each time as well, and, and I've gotten quite a few of the, the times the raid. So with the raid, um, you yeah, the, the attacker the attacker only gets some of the guys, and the Grey Knights usually might get like two. I've had one where the Grey Knights got one guy. You know, so the moment that and, as far, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the rule is once if everyone in your army is down. You're automatically out because you can't yeah. make because a down character can't make a leadership, leadership test. test. That's it. So yeah. yeah, and that's pretty much yeah. Not knock them down. I mean, obviously you got to actually wound and knock them to get them down and such. But um, yeah, oh, that's right. It was against the Eldar because it was the Eldar player at the time um, paid an extra Promethean case to get in the Autark <laughs> and and um, just knock down the two Grey Knights and then the Autark went over and just melee combated them both. You know, into <laughs> he just slit the guy's throat. That is really terrible. Yeah, well, at least it's better than being shanked by an orc, like you say. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so. true. I, I suppose having your throat slit by an elder autark is so much better than getting shanked by an orc. That's it. Yeah, you did it the way I suppose. So. <laughs> they both suck, but yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> All right. So that's the news. Let's move on. Yep. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. Okay, so on to our interview, and uh, we have been able to secure our first, well not our first, our fourth chat, but our first post-Roth and Glory announcement chat with uh, Ross Watson. Yeah. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's go straight into that. Yes. Signal accepted. Beginning decryption sequence. So I'd like to once again welcome uh, Ross Watson back to the show. Hello, Ross. Hello, James. Hello, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here again. And I need to let you know as well that uh, this is actually your fourth appearance on the show. So you have now Woo! moved to the top of the pile as the most 
uh, I guess, it hosted guests on our show. You, you've, you've finally pushed Tim Huckabee out of the way. You guys were neck and neck for a long time there. Uh, and uh, you are now, uh, you are now our, our most regular guest. So congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. I, I think we can now call you the Grimdart Podcast's own Ross Watson. Oh, <laughs> probably not. But uh, you, you did actually uh, uh, something that you said in one of our earliest shows is sort of stuck with us. So you, you gave us a story once about a commissar punching a bane blade, and uh, that, that that sort of meme has stuck with our show ever since then. So. <laughs> Was well, good. what's what's life what's life like if you can't punch a bean blade? Exactly right, exactly. So, in <laughs> case we've got people who happen to start listening to shows from the most recent show on uh, on iTunes, could you give us a quick reminder of um, who you are and why you're important? Well, uh, okay. My name is Ross Watson, and I am the lead designer and line developer for Warhammer Forty Thousand Roleplay Wrath and Glory. And it is the new Warhammer 40k role-playing game uh, produced by Ulysses North America and Ulysses Spiel. And I'm actually currently living in Germany, working with Ulysses Spiel production team right now uh, to build this new product. Um, of course, I was the lead designer for Rogue Trader and Deathwatch and worked on Black Crusade, Only War, um, lots of Tark Heresy. Um, I've, I've written games like Battle of Gothic Armada for uh, the PC on Steam. So I've, I've been involved in uh, Warhammer 40k for a long time. I've worked on a lot of role-playing games like Star Wars Edge of the Empire, and a whole bunch of Savage Worlds products, things like that around that. And so so my, my highlight reel is, is pretty much uh, mostly 40k role-playing games and a couple of video games. Okay. I mean, l- last time we spoke to you on the show, uh, I think you had just finished up, or no, it was just before the final release of um, Battlefleet Gothic Armada. So we were talking yeah. about what, what limited stuff you could say about then. So what have you been up to? Since Armada, I mean, obviously you had the the Savage Rifts Kickstarter. Um, anything else that you can speak to in the time since then? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there was another product from Ulysses North America called Torg Eternity, which had a, a huge Kickstarter this year. I believe it was the biggest role playing game Kickstarter of 2017, and it is a fantastic game, uh, kind of like Savage Rifts in a way, because it, it does involve multiple realities and Earth all overlapping at the same time. Uh, but it's in a very different way. I like to say that uh, Savage Rifts is kind of like a buffet, and Torg is like you, put, you have a blender, and you kind of put them all in the blender. Uh, or maybe I have that backwards. I don't know. I keep getting mixed up with multiversal, megaversal. I'm not sure exactly which reality I'm in at the moment sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, Torg Eternity is great. Uh, we worked on it for a couple of years. It's like handcrafting a Rolls Royce in your garage. I mean, it's just a beautiful game. Um, and I can't wait for people to see it. It'll be in uh, in the hands of backers, I think, in October, and it should be out in stores probably around November, December. So. Okay. I mean, I was, I was an old school talk player back in the uh, in the original first edition days when you had the uh, the campaign cards, and um, I actually got into talk through Shatter Zone. Do you, do you remember Shatter Zone at all? The other game. Shatter Zone. Yeah, that, that, that was done. Yeah. Same company. That's it. So. Yeah, no, it's good yeah, to see the well, talk is still around. If you're an old school Torg fan, uh, I guarantee, guarantee that you are going to really like Torg Eternity. Yeah, you can take that one to the bank. Absolutely. All right, I've got to address a uh, an elephant in the room uh, because uh, okay. we we know that the uh, the 40k properties come from Games Workshop, which is a, a British company, and and I, I'm guessing that the same rule applies that you guys have to write this game using the Queen's English. Is that correct? 
I th- I think it's only fair to use the Queen's English okay. for uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand. It is kind of like a you know, it's kind of a trademark of it. So yes, we are we are using uh, metric units, not imperial, That's and it. we're using Queen's English. So a lot of use in in our in our. Words. Don't ask me to spell maneuver. I just can't do it. Um, yeah, I was just about to say you're going to make sure this time that you don't use maneuverability as a uh, as a trait. Yeah, probably going to avoid that one. <laughs> and so, Mike, you were born in England, and yep. uh, and uh, so was my mother. So, uh, how, how do you pronounce the word W R A T H, Mike? Oh, dear. Um, I pronounce it wrath. You do. I, I know that's the American way, but I do pronounce it wrath. Oh, you've just you've completely nullified my argument. There. I was going to say I, I always say wrath, so I've been going and saying, "Oh, you got this new game, Wrath and Glory," you know. And then Ross gets up at his Gen Con panel, he's like, "Wrath and Glory." So, uh, <laughs> what's it going to be, Ross? You know, it's it's interesting because um, I use the word wrath a lot in uh, Battlefield Gothic Armada when I was writing it, and you can hear the voice actor who does this wonderful job, and he says it wrath. He says it rough, and it's just beautiful. Um, so, you know, I, I say it wrath because I'm American, but um, I think either either way is, is just fine. Just just say it with vigor. That's all I ask. I, I thought you were about to say before that you use the word wrath or wrath in your day-to-day life all the time, you know, like someone you know someone gives you the wrong change, <laughs> and you've incurred my wrath. It's... <laughs> <laughs> you've awoken the dragon. That's it. So... Uh, give us a quick uh, intro to what what the game is. You know, what, what, what's the idea of of uh, of Warhammer Forty K Wrath and Glory? Well, very simply, it is the new role playing game that is going to take you into the grim darkness of the far future. Um, it uses a brand new system, and it is going to be set in the Dark Imperium of Warhammer Forty K Eighth Edition. And we are uh, designing a new system with. Uh, that's going to be fast and fun, and it's not going to involve a lot of looking things up in the rulebook, and it's going to have brutal 40k combat in it. And it's going to it's going to be a lot more broad and inclusive than, I think, uh, previous games have been in the setting. We are looking to build a foundation with a, a strong core book product, and then craft individual-focused campaigns that kind of spring off of that, not unlike, say, a rulebook and codexes. Okay, so I noticed that when we watched the Gen Con panel, there are a couple of questions you got that were pretty consistent, and you had to have a pretty consistent answer, so I'm, I'm going to give you the chance to get that out now. So, question for you, Ross. Will my favorite race slash chapter slash war gear or whatever be included in the game? You know, I wish I could, I wish I could answer each and every one of those questions. Right now, uh, it's just... It's not the right time to get into that. So I will just say that we are looking to build something that is... Pretty broad and pretty inclusive when it comes to races and war gear and, and all of the cool things of Warhammer Forty Thousand. I, I liked your uh, your answer in the the uh, session more where you kept saying, "I I really like that too. I want to include that. We'll see if it gets in there or not." You know, it's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and um, the other thing I picked up on I thought was quite funny, and it actually raised some comments on our um, Facebook page as well. Was someone asking about uh, can we play Tyranids? And it's, uh, you, you, you struggled to sort of come up with the um, the concept for a Tyranid role-playing game, but, but encouraged feedback. So uh, I, thought, I thought that was quite good. There's always one guy who wants to play Tyranids. 
This happened in Germany too at Ratcon. We had a guy in the audience like, "What? How do I play a Tyranid?" I'm like, "I don't know." I think there's, <laughs> there's huge opportunities for character development with Tyranids. You know, Timmy the Gaunt goes on a grand adventure and learns the important lesson: the high mind was inside him all along. <laughs> Timmy the Termagant. <laughs> okay, I will remember this. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I, I know that sounds there like some... heresy to me. It, it does. <laughs> I know that there are some design priorities with with Wrath and Glory. You mentioned um, the the three. You mentioned three of them in the Revelations book that went out at Gen Con. But but what are your sort of? That's right. What are the target states for this game? Uh, could you explain that question a little bit more? Um, so, so I mean, if if there's a checklist of things that you that you want to achieve, if you can say this game, I mean, to go back to the Revelations book, so you've got there, it, it must capture. Warhammer 40k, for example, it must be yep. fast to play and it must feel or it should feel brutal. So, I mean, this could you give us a little bit more idea about your design, you, you, what you want the design to feel like when it's done? Okay, yeah, the the kind of experience that I want Wrath and Glory to bring across. I'm taking a lot of inspiration from games out there that I really love, uh, stuff like Torg Eternity, stuff like uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, stuff like Savage Worlds. Um, I'm looking to present an experience that allows people to play characters at just about any, I mean, level is a bad word, I don't really want to use level, but, but almost at any level. Like, uh, if you want to play a bunch of guardsmen who are way in over their heads and are just sort of struggling uh, to get by on the war-torn battlefields of, of, of Cadia, you know, you should be able to play that with Wrath and Glory. That's a design goal. But if you also want to play some veteran space marines who are, you know, exploring a Necron tomb world, that is also something I want Wrath and Glory to support. So that's one of the, the things I'm talking about when I say, you know, it should be broad and inclusive. I want, I want the foundation of this game to be able to support a really wide array, a uh, myriad, if you will, of different uh, game uh, opportunities in Warhammer 40k, because there's just so much of this universe, um, so many things that I've always wanted to do, and I'm, I, I'm so excited about getting a chance to do that. Okay, and you sort of um, touched on one of my, my later questions I'll bring forward now, which is that, uh, so there are certainly elements of the 40K universe that we could say are asymmetrical, you know, that, that, a, that a space marine is certainly not the equal of a guardsman, you know, they are uh, quite far apart. So would you like to have the ability in the game to have those sort of asymmetrical character archetypes and allow the narrative to manage it? I mean, I'm thinking here about what we saw in the past with games like um, Black Crusade, where you could have space marines alongside non-space marines, and sure, one was clearly more the equal of the other in the uh, in combat, but uh, yeah, there were, the game wasn't all combat, you know, so there were certainly elements for both to shine. Is that something you, you would like to see, or you would try to have everybody be relatively balanced against the same, the same stick? Well, I think there's <clears throat> definitely something to be said for... Uh game balance, because you, you don't want, and when I say game balance, what I really mean is uh, people should feel like that they're contributing meaningfully to the game, that they have a niche to be filled, that they are, uh, that their concept uh, and their character has a role to play and isn't just sort of window dressing, right? Game balance, in, in, from that perspective, I think is really, really important. We actually touched on this not only in Black Crusade, I think uh, we, we had a pretty interesting look at it there. But in a product I worked on recently, which was Savage Rifts, we also had a kind of a, an interesting approach there, too. Because in Savage Rifts, you have guys um, like the Glitter Boy, who are basically the biggest, baddest suit of power armor in the world, okay? 
and they have the biggest gun, and they're the really tough guy. Um, but when it comes to investigating, you know, who shot the mayor's daughter, uh, or sneaking into town to find out what the bandits have been up to, he's really, he's just not going to have a lot to do, uh, because he's just not suited for that, okay? And I think you can draw some parallels there to Warhammer 40k, and certainly with Space Marines and normal human beings, and of course now we have primary Space Marines, who are even more badass. So, yeah, uh, there are going to be, I, I can say with authority that we are very, we are looking at this very deeply, and it's very important to me to find a way to give the Game Master a lot of guidance and support, and some of that's mechanical, and some of that is narrative, absolutely, to be able to, if they want, create a mix, uh, a mix and match group. Now, that being said, I think we're, you know, we are also looking at some of our campaigns to present a, a slightly more focused and more, uh, cohesive look at Warhammer 40k. Like, for example, uh, if, if you and I were to sit down and play uh, a Doom of the Eldar campaign, right, it's about us all being Eldar doing Eldar things. And if you want to play a Space Marine and come along on that quest, uh, I would probably, you know, that would be up to the GM to allow it, but the, 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 the books won't really have anything in there for you, because, you know, the campaign is what it's about. You, you see what I'm saying? But the core book is going to be much more uh, much more open to people who are sort of building what they want out of the Dark Imperium. And in the Dark Imperium, you can have some pretty, um, I'm not sure what the word is, uh, you have some pretty weird combinations <laughs> of stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily see because uh, the situation there is just so dire. Yeah, I mean, especially around the whole Gathering Storm concept, there were certainly a few alliances forged there prior to the sort of end right. of 7th and start of 8th. I mean... So both Mike and I have grown up on game settings that have had multiple, I guess, derivative books from a single core. So we really started heavily on White Wolf, for example. So you had like Vampire and Werewolf and all those ones. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen recently with what they've done with, with Star Wars now having sort of common commonality and even with the other 40K lines. Some of those games have been great for compatibility. Some of them have been not so great. I mean, I look, for example, at skill lists in some games being quite different. So, given you've got a core book, if the GM or the players do want to port, I guess, characters, you know, you played a, a long campaign of Imperium Nihilus and you've now got these characters and the GM goes, okay, we're going to go to start a, a Doom of the Eldar campaign now. Um, are those other characters mechanically going to be portable, at least, in between those settings yeah, even if you've got to sort of work out the narrative side, well, would that was that, that is definitely yeah. uh, that is definitely something I would like. I think I think having one core book as our main foundation of rules is going to be that tool that's going to make that kind of possible. I mean, uh, the part of the thing about the the old, other Warhammer Forty Thousand role playing games is that they were each a very different experience. They were each a very different. Um, not necessarily core activity, but they definitely had a different um, essence to them, right? Like, uh, the essence of Dark Heresy was a very different thing than uh, the freedom that Rogue Trader gave you, while Death Watch was, you know, much more action-oriented, you know, it's about brotherhood, right? And the mechanics of those games reflected that, which made it difficult to uh, basically move one from, move characters from one to the other. It was not possible, uh, certainly. We, we had a lot of books about, like, Here's how you do that. But um, having a, a core focused, uh, sorry, focused core book is going to make that, I think, a lot more of a uh, feasible solution. And that's definitely something that's important. 
Okay, so you've touched on the campaign books there a couple of times, and so we already know from Revelations, and I'll actually point out, by the way, as well, if you didn't get to Gen Con and didn't get your copy of Revelations, that it is available now as a free download through DriveThruRPG as well. Uh, but um, you mentioned there that Imperium Nihilus is the likely to be the first campaign. Can you oh, yeah. tell us a bit more about what that's going to be? Okay, so without going too much into detail... One of the cool things about Warhammer 40k 8th edition is that the timeline has advanced. Things have happened. Uh, one of the Primarchs has returned. A, a warp storm has swept the galaxy in half. And the, the Imperium is in a, a period of danger it's never, like you've never seen before. Um, and the part of the galaxy that's sort of cut off from the rest is called the Dark Imperium, or the Imperium Nihilus. And this is a just uh, amazing place to adventure in. And our campaign is going to uh, it's going to detail some of that setting. We're going to take a magnifying glass to it and bring you down, you know, into the rubble-strewn streets of a hive world and things like that. Uh, we're going to we're going to show you what it's like in the Dark Imperium. We're going to take your characters on a series of linked adventures that is part of this campaign path, um, and also provide you with all the setting material you need to do your own. Plus, we're going to do some more character options, some more gear. Uh, the Imperium Nihilus campaign is going to be a way for us to say, okay, you've got your core book, you can do whatever you want with the core book, that's great. But if you want to get the full experience of what the Dark Imperium has going on, that's what the Imperium Nihilus campaign is going to be about. Okay. Uh, so, you're obviously a familiar face to fans of 40k RPGs. Uh, and, and I think it's it's uh, it's really great that you're working on this game because I know of all the sort of contribution you made, and I, and I know from talking to you in the past how much of a 40k fan you are as well. Like you know, we have we've had long nerd sessions about cool parts of the, uh, the, 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 the setting and such. But uh, what's the likelihood you think we'll see other familiar faces working on this game? I'd say it's very high. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Revelations uh, booklet, I do talk about a few names that should be familiar. Um, Owen Barnes, who has written, he's pr written on, I think, every single uh, version of the role-playing game, which is more than I can say, even. Um, and uh, Andy Hoare, who has written for the, uh, the Games Workshop Studio, he's written for Thor's World, he's written for Black Library, he's uh, currently the head of Specialist Games. Um, we've got Andrea Gossman coming back, who worked on a whole bunch of books for Deathwatch, uh, amongst other things. Um, and there's going to be some other some other names in there, I think that people will go, "Oh, yeah, I remember. I, I know who that guy is." Yeah, I think uh, we're putting together. Was the other one you mentioned too in the in Revelation? Yes, she she's new to uh, Warhammer 40k, but she is a really outstanding writer, and I'm excited to see what she brings to the table. She's uh, going to be working on the core book directly with me, actually, and I'm I'm seeing the kind of stuff she's uh, turning it right now. It's pretty exciting. Okay. So we we have a good team, is what I'm really getting around to saying. Awesome. Michael, I want to give you a chance to ask some of your questions now before I keep going. Okay, yeah. Um, you've actually just sort of touched on it briefly there. You mentioned Andy Hall, who's uh, working uh, with Specialist Games there. How much input is Games Workshop themselves actually having in what you guys are producing? Are they sort of calling the shots, or are you being given a lot of freedom to create stuff as you need? Well, I think... <laughs> The thing is that we work closely with Games Workshop, um, and this is true on all the games I've worked on. Um, we have uh, a lot of freedom, I think, because it's a role-playing game. We have probably more freedom than almost any other licensed product that you have for uh, 
for Warhammer 40k. I mean, you have a computer game that's a very uh, specific story that's trying to tell. Even something like, say, Inquisitor, the, the, the video game that's coming out. The role-playing games are a lot more open, and they're a lot more um, heavy on details about the setting. So we get held to a very high standard. So part of that is that they work with us to give us all you know, access to the, uh, the research material, they give us access to ask them questions about the setting. I get to, to, to work alongside you know, guys who know 40K in and out, like Andy, like Owen. I mean, if you, if you cut Andy Hoare in half, it would say, work number 40,000 on the inside. I mean, that's just how, that, that's, that's how deep he is into it, right? Um, so so we, we do work closely with them, and it's going to be a kind of, I, I, I like to say it's a joint exploration, because uh, right now it's a really interesting time with, uh, with Games Workshop. There, there is all kinds of stuff that happened in the role-playing game that's actually kind of coming over and being seen in the lore. Like the newest Space Marine Codex, for example, it actually, you know, just mentions the Achilles Crusade, which was the main core conflict of, of the Death Watch RPG. And, and just, I mean, there's there's little pieces of that that's just kind of all over the place. And I'm, I love it. I love the fact that, you know, we are building lore that is then kind of coming into the miniature game. The miniature game is advancing, and we're getting to keep up with that. So, yeah, we work with Games Workshop on this, and it's, it, it's definitely a partnership. Um, and they are giving us, I think, exactly the kind of freedom that we need to make a really great role-playing if you had your way, Ross, will you? Uh, would you love to create another marine chapter like you did with the, uh, the Storm Wardens? <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not sure that is a more than a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I mean, obviously, as a fanboy, I would love to just you know, creating material for the lore is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Um, that being said, I, I'd be hard pressed to come up with something I think that I like more than the Storm Wardens because I really like those guys. Uh, but you know, how can I not? They were they were a labor of love. Um, you know, who knows? I think I think that you know anything can happen. But um, I, I don't know if that's uh, if that's even possible. All right, Mike, you got something else? Um, yeah, it's just one more question, really, which is with all the changes with uh, the new edition and uh, the progression of more. Um, do you think it's going to be a bigger challenge with having? less stuff already solidified out there? Or is it going to be the more freedom makes it easier? Um, how are you guys going to handle not having quite as much background going on? Well, if I understood you correctly, the question is um, how are we going to handle it because there's not as much written about the Dark Imperium as there are other areas of Warhammer 40k. Well, I think it's actually pretty great. Um, the thing is, this is kind of why we kind of shaped our, 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 uh, our line the way that we did. Because we're setting up Wrath and Glory to be a core book with campaigns that we build off of it, we're not restricted to a specific place and a specific time in the setting. We can move around. We can zoom in on pieces of lore that we really think are cool, that we think would make a great uh, adventure or a great uh, campaign. And again, we're working very closely with Games Workshop, so there's going to be <laughs> there's going to be things that I know, for example, that are going to be coming down the pipe that that may not yet be public knowledge, and that's going to help shape what we do and where we go. I think it's going to be kind of a, a great timing in a way because this this is brand new world. It's it, well, not brand new; it's a, it's brand new territory. Is what I meant to say. 
And the RPG is going to be kind of uh, helping shine a light on pieces of it, even as we're walking forward into it. It's going to be kind of your guide as people who love 40K are exploring this new era. Uh, it's, it is a bloodstained time amongst the stars, but there is a glimmer of hope because one of the Primarchs has returned. And I think that's a fantastic uh, new tone uh, for the grim darkness of the far future. All right, so... I mean, as we're recording this show, we are, uh, at least in Australia, one day away from the 30th anniversary of, uh, of Warhammer 40K. And, um, uh, of course, 8th edition is a big part of that. Have you had a chance to, to, to digest 8th edition yet, Ross? Do you ever, I mean, not just the fluff, but the game, you know, have you, you, are you enjoying that too? I, I think the game rules are great. I, honestly, I've been kind of buried in the game uh, that I'm designing. So I haven't had time to sit down and, and sling dice uh, just yet, but I have watched people play it. I've been uh, at Origins where they were demoing it um, here in the United States, and I've been in a couple of uh, Games Workshop stores as well uh, to see people playing the game. So I, I'm pretty excited. I think it looks really, really fun. I'm really hoping to get some time to paint some models here uh, shortly and, and jump in on it. But honestly, I haven't, uh, haven't actually done it personally myself, but it looks really cool. Are there people at Ulysses who aren't familiar with 40k that you can induct in the in the office? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of people who, who know 40k who are fans. Some of them, uh, you know, fans of, of very earlier uh, things that are going on in Warhammer 40,000. But we do have some people that have never have never played it before. And yeah, it would be cool to it would be cool to start some stuff up here in the office. I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. We're trying to set up a painting night right now. <laughs> oh, nice. So, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of sort of role-playing game fans might not be familiar with uh, with Ulysses Spiel or, or Ulysses North America as a company. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about that company and, and what they've been involved in? Sure. So, Ulysses Spiel, um, in Germany, they have a game called Das Schwarze Auge, or The Dark Eye, which is the, the number one role-playing game in Germany. It's basically their Dungeons Dragons. And it's a... Um, I don't, I don't want to say dark fantasy, but it is definitely a, a, a really interesting fantasy setting that's been around for about 30 years, and they have a ton of lore for it, and um, of course, their role-play game, The Dark Eye, there's a card game called Amaturia, uh, and they've been, they've been working with that for quite a while, and recently, they've kind of stepped into the kind of stepped into the area where they're now a publisher of multiple different types of games. They were kind of like a the main distributor here in Germany. And now they're making Torg Eternity, which I've already talked about a little bit, but you know, allow me to praise it even higher. It's a really good game. Um, they developed that, and they are uh, developing Wrath of Glory, and they're bringing back Fading Suns. Um, they are really, they're deep into a lot of RPG products that are um, in development, on the way, um, and I think it's it, they will soon be a, a company that a lot of people uh, know about and and, and are looking forward to seeing more from. Okay. And you, as a, a general Warhammer fan, are you also watching the developments of the fantasy RPG from Cubicle 7? A little bit, yeah. I mean, uh, I love Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and I know the guy they've got running it over there at Cubicle 7, a good friend of mine. Uh, they probably couldn't have picked a better dude. I, um, I'm pretty sure they, they've announced his name, but I'm not going to say it just in case I have it. they haven't. So... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the he and I have talked, and, and I have expressed, you know, uh, we we have we have discussed our, our mutual admiration of each other's 
properties. Uh, the Cubicle 7 guys are going to do a great job with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and their Age of Sigmar role-playing games, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they got going on. Okay. Now, I know it's, it's still early days with uh, with Roth and Glory. Um, obviously, uh, we're going to be tapping on your shoulder several times in the coming months slash years to you know get your uh, uh, thoughts on things and, and, and update our, our fans. But, I mean, for listeners of the show... Where should they go to find out more about Roth and Glory and follow it as the development continues? The best place to learn more about what's going on with Roth and Glory is to visit ulysses-us.com or ulysses-spiel.de in Germany. And we are going to have uh, designer diaries and we're going to be showing some of our uh, playtesting along the way. I think we, we have a lot of plans for how we're going to, we're going to get more... Uh, information out about Wrath and Glory as we move forward. So definitely you know, pay attention to our website. I, I think the uh, the address is on, again, the booklet, Revelations. If you if, you, if all else fails, you just pick up the book, Revelations. It should be on the back page, the back cover. And that'll lead you to the site where we will have more info uh, in the upcoming weeks. And we'll put a link in our show notes as well. So if you Woo, thank you. That's, that's it. Uh, so Mike, anything else from you for Ross before we uh, let him get to bed because it is late for Ross? Um. Just one last question. With all the campaign settings coming out, um, not trying to pin you down or anything, but if you had a choice of any setting, any time period in full K universe, which ones would you like to do most? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. If I had to pick just two that I think would be really cool to do as a role-playing game campaign, well... Um, I have a long list uh, that I have looked at and, and from time to time keep thinking, man, I would love to add these onto it. Um, the first one is um, anybody who's a fan of Space Marines, especially the Imperial Fists and all their, their, their chapters that are uh, related to them, there's this thing they do called the Feast of Blades. And I've always thought it would be really cool to have a campaign set in and around the idea of the Feast of Blades, because it's one of those few times where you have multiple chapters all getting together uh, in one place and, and and centered around this this idea of honor duels and and sportsman and, and kind of sportsmanship. Really, it's 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 very cool. It's, it's it kind of it, it it goes back to that thing I love about a game about brotherhood, and I kind of would like to see something about that. And the other thing, um, like historically speaking, if you want to go back a little bit to the past of Warhammer 40k, um, something I think would be great to do would be to focus on uh, the Macarian heresy. So you got this guy, Lord Solar Macarius. He expands the empire, the, the Imperium beyond uh, the borders to to almost the furthest extent of the Astronomicon, and then he dies. And his grand army, you know, gets split up amongst these great generals, and they they fall into this. Uh, this squabble that takes like 30 years to unravel. And I always thought that would be a very interesting thing to do, uh, to, to be in amongst all that intrigue and backstabbing and, and mystery and kind of find out you know, what, what really happened in the Macarian heresy. That's something I think would be really cool. Nice. All right, well, that's, that's all we had. Uh, unless there's anything else that you wanted to add you know, speaking directly to our listeners, Ross, um, we'll let you go. But is there anything else that you wanted to throw in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm a big fan of the Grimdark Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are marching on towards your 100th episode. I'm just so proud of it. Keep up the great work. 
And it is always a, a pleasure to see uh, you guys either at Gen Con or to talk to you on your on your show or hear you you know talk about what's happening in the world of Warhammer Forty Thousand Roleplay. So you know, keep on keeping on. You you guys are, are doing great. Well, thanks very much. And uh, I'll, I'll make sure next time I'm in the in the uh, in Germany, we I, I find you for a for a beer, which is absolutely still, which is still yeah. beer in German. That's awesome. Just spelled differently. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ross. Thanks very much, and uh, we will chat to you again soon. Hopefully, hopefully very soon. All right. Cheers. Signal lost. Decryption sequence terminated. Okay, Mike. Following on from from Ross, I mean, I think that. Uh, uh, probably not much we can learn at this point in time. I think when it's so early days, really, it's just going to be sort of talking about more concepts and such. But I think that it was good that Ross was, was able to share what he what he did with us. Yep, um, it was great to have him back on the show. And I always love having a chat with Ross because he's so he's so passionate about these games. Like, I mean, it's um, it's not just a job for him. I think it's like he's, he's such a fan of uh, of forty k. Absolutely, it's. Nothing that comes through more than the fact that he really does love what he do. He, yeah. He's doing, um, and I hope that that comes out in the in the writing. I'm sure it will. We did before, yeah. Um, so yeah. good. And Ross and I share other loves as well. Like we're both into BattleTech and RoboTech, even going for going as well, and uh, superhero role playing as well. They're, 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 they're passions that you know, Ross and I share. So I love any chance to catch up with Ross because he's such a such a personality, and uh, yeah, I think he's going to bring a lot to the game. Even yep. if it's just the incorrect pronunciation of the word wrath. Wrath, wrath. I really don't think it matters. That's all you said. You, you say wrath as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I say wrath, yeah. but I blame my years and years of Australian education. Okay, no worries. Uh, and just to clarify as well, uh, we mentioned before the Revelations uh, booklet that was available at Gen Con. You can now get that on Drive-Thru RPG, so we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes as well. So and it's free. Yeah, well, I mean, you read it, Mike, now, so, yeah. so what, what were your thoughts? Um, I mean... It's got a nice little story in it. Yep. Um, it explains what their mission statement is, I suppose, very clearly. Yep. Um, it makes it... I suppose... Ah. I'm not really sure how to explain it. Once you've read it, you know exactly what they've got planned. Yeah. I mean, it, they're not hiding anything. They haven't got any secret agenda to this. They want to make a 40k game that does exactly what it says on the box. Yeah. You know. I, I feel like I know too much already. Like I'm, I'm going to be buying Imperium Nihilus, thinking, "Oh man, I wish Doom of the Old I was out. I was so want to play Doom of the Old R." So, but uh, <laughs> I've got to wait. I'm going to get through Imperium Nihilus first. I've got to give that a good red hot go, you know. And uh, <laughs> uh, to, to be honest, I'm more interested in Imperium Nihilus than Doom of the Elder. Yeah, I really am. But so, look, so- looking at what they're doing, I mean, they, they've got the plan here of where they're releasing a core book which will let you do anything, and then they're releasing campaigns that will let you focus on specific things. So if you're not interested in the Imperium or the Elder, and you want to play a group of boys going around in your rock, beating things up and stealing teeth, you can do that. So I think I already answered this question, Mike, but let me just ask you. you, Any new role-playing game you pick up, you open the book, what's the first thing you turn to? What's the first thing you want to check out? To be honest, the first thing I check out is the artwork. Really? I'll flick, okay. Usually I will just have a flick through without even looking at the titles of things and just have a look at the artwork, see what it's like. Oh, I mean, I turn straight to character creation. Yeah? Yeah. It's, you know, when, when the design of the diary starts to flow, that's going to be what I'm looking out for. Is you know, like, How do you build a character? What are I, your options? I do love character creation. It is one of the things I do go to, but yeah. artwork is always first because if I pick up a book and I'm flicking through it and it is 
very bland. I suppose the best way of describing it is D&D... Uh, sorry, AD&D Player's Handbook. Yeah. It was dreadful. I mean, the artwork in that book is absolutely appalling. And for a long time, I didn't like playing D&D because it just... It was just so bland. Yeah. It just came across so bland. But when... Three edition, third edition came out, and the artwork in that book was just so such a huge improvement. Well, all colour for one, that was the first sort of... Yeah. That, that, the third edition DD was probably the first like all-colour role-playing book I really yeah, remember. Yeah, and, and even the, the non-colour diagrams, the sketches and all that sort of stuff with the notations around the, around the artwork and all that sort of thing, it just looked good. Yeah. And it made me interested in actually reading through it. So, yeah. Artwork, okay. big, yeah. big thing. Gotta be good. So, so character creation is a, is a big thing for me, and I think that I can learn a lot about a game by sort of seeing what the sort of options are as such. Because there are some game systems out there where variation in characters is quite minimal, but they look for you to sort of experience your variation in gameplay as such. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, I mean, one game system that I know that Ross has worked on in the past is games derived from Savage Worlds. Yeah. So he did like Savage Rifts as a Kickstarter, uh, and, and I think that. My personal opinion of the Savage World setting is that the characters are, I guess, a little more on the lighter side in terms of what the options are, what the variance is, and such. Because they're sort of. I'm trying very... to. Re- I'm trying to remember Savage Worlds now. Is that the one where you select stats on D4, D6, D8? D6 that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, but I mean, you see, so you've got you've got you, you, a few core stats, probably about a dozen or so skills, and then you get like a talent, and you only get a talent sort of once per tier, as such. So. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's more light than say, you know, what's the other extreme? Like a game system like Rollmaster, where you know, a character sheet won't be less than about thirteen or fourteen pages. Yeah, where where you, you're working out adolescent ranks. What did your what <laughs> hobbies did your character have as a teenager? Yeah, so I mean, look, I, I like life path systems. I think we've already discussed in the past about life path systems, but uh, I think look, as long as it captures forty k, that's going to yeah. be the main thing. So you know, if I can think of a forty k concept, as long as I can get that on a paper. Uh, through the game, that's what I you know sort of want to, want to hope for as well. Yeah, but, uh, I, I think that's a big thing as well. Um, good example, I suppose, of times where it hasn't come out quite as intended would be Black Crusade. Yeah. So you know, we, they good example. They had all the different templates. You could have Corn Berserker, Thousand Suns, Sorcerer, Death yeah. Guard. Yeah. But say I wanted to play a Death Guard Sorcerer. Oh, no, can't do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no so. option at all. Yeah. Absolutely none. And yeah, you'd have to play just a Chaos Sorcerer. You'd have to play a Chaos Sorcerer. And be a Nurgle Worshipper. And and be like, a Nurgle Worshipper. Yeah. But you're and not, not get the death guard a Death Guard Sorcerer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose you could probably kit-bash something together. You know, work something out, house-rule it. But really, you don't want to have to do that too often. So I've got high hopes that the system will allow you to create anything you want any weird and wacky combinations it has the rules for making orcs it should have the rules for a death guard sorcerer I mean <laughs> well, that's it that's it yeah I, I gotta I got share a work story with you as well by the way this is I don't know if I told you this the other day but uh, I, I got into an argument at work recently about um, uh, I had to sort of design requirements for a product based upon releasing that product into our market here and uh, one of the requirements someone came back to me and said oh well the product we have sort of already does that you know you can sort of go through this you can do this and this and this and this and change this setting and do this and this and it will functionally do what you've described there and it's like yeah but on every competitor's product in the market you just hit a button and it does that straight away 
you don't have to have like this sort of five step process. And they're like, no, but it, it you said it needs to do this. It does that. And I said, it's like trying to sell me a car that's got no doors. But you say, it's okay. You can climb in through the boot or through the trunk for our American listeners. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. You've ticked the box of can enter vehicle, but no one's going to buy it. <laughs> so, uh, when, when it, for me, when it comes to product development, I guess it's about hitting that sort of target market. Like, I mean, am I, do I just tick the box if I got this or am I shooting for, you know, yeah. what, what do the market actually want? So, but I guess that's hard with the, especially like the role playing market because what people want, some people want huge simplicity. Some people want absolutely crushing number crunching, you know, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing where this game falls in that spectrum as such. And I, I think we'll enjoy it either way because I know the people behind it and I know, you know, that the legacy it's built on and, and, you know, I love the setting, so it's going to be hard to, to, to not love it. So yeah, it's going to be hard to mess it up. Very hard. Yeah. So fingers crossed. That's not a challenge, by the way. No, <laughs> no if you're listening to this bit, Ross, it's not a challenge. <laughs> All right, then let's keep going. My Lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. All right, Mike. I want you to tell me about the circumstances where you first laid eyes upon the original 40k Rogue Trader book. Oh, I'm do you, do you remember? To, I'm trying to vaguely remember. I was pretty young. Well, um, I, know, my, I know my exact circumstances. So yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel a bit strange, like, like a strange fanboy now. So, so what, what, what can you sort of work out? Well, okay, so I was probably young, I was probably about eight or nine. Yep. My brother had some of the models and the book. Okay. And So it was already in your family by the time you sort of got onto it, so Yeah, yeah, okay. but it had only come out recently. Yeah. So it was pretty new. Yeah. You know, it was all new and exciting stuff. And he was putting together the model kits of the uh the old R T zero ones, the old Space Marines. Yep. And yeah, that was my first exposure. Okay. Yeah. And, and like what what sort of what, what what appealed about it to you in the first place? The fact that really it was playing army soldiers with rules. Okay. Yeah, there's no more of this, oh, you missed. Yeah. Oh, he's got shields. All that sort of stuff that kids do. Yeah. You know, it, it, there was an actual structure to it. And the fact that it was just so fantastical. Mm-hmm. You know, it was guys in armour with guns. Yeah. What's not to love? Let me see about my first experience. My, my my first experience is something of a story. I'm going to say. Oh, no. I, I'm going to I'm going to actually uh, out myself here as the sort of nefarious use I was. Uh, so when I was first, uh, it would have been early in high school as such. Uh, let's say 13, 14 years old, um, and uh, uh, I started playing BattleTech at this point in time. I actually started with MechWarrior, the MechWarrior RPG, and I started buying some BattleTech stuff uh, back when you know the only way to get mechs was pretty much metal mechs with a little metal hex hex base in blister packs as such and uh at that point in time the only sort of war game there was a role-playing store near where i lived as such but it just had like i think you can get dnd hero quest there at the time um but not much else really and there was but there was a big store in the city uh in in sydney's central business area that was called the tin soldier and on this particular day i had uh actually stolen some money from my father's wallet uh, and was going truant from school and uh, was actually taking another friend of mine who was going truant into the city and we we're going to go and buy Battletech miniatures uh, with the stolen money from my father in the uh, in, in this store. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and at the time, at the time, uh, we saw the uh, the book of you know, 40k Road Trader. Yeah. And, uh, and it was actually what drew me to it in the first place was actually the, the cover artwork. You know, the, the, the Crimson Fists piled up 
on you know on a mound fighting enemies from all sides and such and um, I think what sort of took me as then as a sort of 13 or 14 year old child was the visceral nature of it as such you know there was like a a half well there was a bisected corpse on the ground you know uh, it, it looked like you know it was a, a sort of gory, gritty you know, sort of war book as such. And uh, at the t- you know we opened up at the time. I, I mean, my friend uh, I think Ross was his name actually, and we sort of looked through it. And uh, I, I guess that one of the things that we sort of when we first gotten into uh, MechWar in the first place, we were sort of half war gaming, half role playing it, and that, that's what we saw here. We saw that okay, this is sort of it's got role playing type elements. But it's also a war game, you know, and it's got multiple page spreads of weapons. You know, what 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 thirteen year old boy doesn't like, you know, pictures of futuristic weapons, that sort of stuff, you know, and it's got this sort of really dark, gritty artwork and you know. So I took that stolen money and I left the store with the book, uh, original Land Raider, and yet yeah, a box of those original uh, plastic space marines. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I I took those home and uh, that that night because at that point in time we had a two-story house and the bottom story was really just a single room where I lived at the time. So I you know, secreted my my ill-gotten goods down there and... and you you know, were a basement s- dweller. That's right. Snuck off and, uh, and and assembled my Land Raider and all my uh, uh, all my plastic beaky marines and stuff. Were you ever so, caught? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because it didn't. That was that wasn't that wasn't an isolated incident. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was yeah, I was a terrible, I was a terrible, terrible person. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I think I, I think that I got a lot of a lot of uh, role playing books at, yeah, at that age, and and war game stuff was through ill gotten goods. But when my parents found out, they sold my computer to recover the money. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the last time I had an Amiga 500 before it was, uh, I went many years without a computer before I got bored of 286 in the future so yeah. um yeah so anyway but that was that was my first exposure to 40k and to be honest um I couldn't tell you when I no, actually, actually probably good. so that would have been 1991 maybe 1991 1992 because it came out in 80 was it? Was well, it? if it was 30 years ago, James. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. So, so yeah, so, so that's it. 87 it came out, 87. Yes, so, I, would have, I would have first seen it in 87. Okay, so, so I didn't get it on It would have it. been months after that. It probably would have been December 1987 I first saw it. Yeah, so I didn't get onto it straight away. I would have been sort of about 1990, I think, when I finally got onto it. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, we didn't play it properly for ages. Like, oh. sort of, I, 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 I had this awesome book with awesome artwork, and I'm like, I'm... 13 years old I can't read something this big yeah, so yeah I, I mean gonna, I'll, I'll be honest I'm through and pick and choose what I like the look of and... I was barely yeah I was I was 9 going on 10 at the time yeah I had no idea what I was doing my brother would say roll this I'd just roll it and then I'd always lose it didn't matter what I rolled but I did get though what I, and I did get I did read the original Ian Watson Space Marine though so yeah. it didn't take me too long to actually get my head around the what things were from reading that book, and, and previously I'd, I'd, I'd already had Space Crusade, yeah. Um, so I played Space Crusade, and I, I think this is all pre Space Hulk still, but uh, then it would, but it, like then the GW store opened up probably about ninety two near us in in this. That was the first store in Sydney, and uh, that would have been when I actually played proper forty k for the first time. That would have been probably yeah, that would uh, be ninety two, yeah, second or third, second or third edition. I would probably probably about third. Uh, Sec- it was second, second edition second had just come out. That's right, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, and, and I actually probably played more fantasy at the start, really. But, um, yeah, then we got into 40k through games like Space Hulk. And... Yeah, for some reason, I'm thinking that fantasy was already in third or fourth edition by okay. that stage. Yeah. yeah. All I remember was that when I first started playing at the GW store, they had these all sort of wooden bases they'd made, like with um, oh, pop, pop, popsicle sticks to actually put all the fantasy minutes into the kit formations and move them as a single group. Yeah, movement trays. Group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Homemade movement trays. That's it, yeah. So, I mean, the original Road Trader book is now something of a collector's item, sort of, I guess. They, they've uh, So, um, GW recently republished the original book as a 30th anniversary edition, which was sold at Gen Con. Uh, so, my mate picked one up, and I've got that now, because my original book has long since fallen apart and been given over to the gods of chaos and entropy. So, yeah. Uh, but you've still got your original ones, don't you? So. Yeah, yeah, I've still got two. I've got one which is came out of the spine, so that's sitting in a in a three ring folding binder somewhere. Okay. And I've got another copy, which is still the hardbound original first edition copy. Yeah. Um, that isn't actually the first one I got. It was one that I picked up many many, many years later from a second hand bookstore. Yeah, but I grabbed it for nostalgia value for three bucks or something like that. I couldn't tell you something on my old forty um, k million inches. Like I mean, that, that land raid I mentioned. I think that was yeah, something happened to that. You know, all those Space Marines. Um, I think I've got a couple of my sort of early days. I think I've got an original Blood um, Blood Bowl Dwarf player. I think I've still got some Chaos Dwarfs from Fantasy, and I've got a couple of Scout Trikes still. But my yeah. original army was Gene Steelers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So okay. I have some. Old metal gene stealers with the plastic arms. Yep, you didn't use the gene stealers from Space Hulk to, you know, wasn't out at the time. (laughs) It's funny, actually, I I pulled down my Space Hulk recently, the new one, the the more recent edition, to sort of see uh, is there a way I could utilize any of the miniatures from this in the war game? But unfortunately, for me, who's playing um, Ultramarines, uh, a lot of the Terminators in the box have like um, embossed. Blood Angels logos on their armor as such, you know, so it would yes. be a bit of modification to sort of get them down to... I have seen people that have painted them as ultramarines, but they've just left the originals of, like, the blood Just drops. left the, uh, the iconography on them. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I was doing today, was cutting Blood Angels iconography off of uh, Furioso Dreadnought arms to... Oh, that's right. So did you buy did you buy the actual Furioso Dreadnought, or did you buy bits from somewhere? Bits. Okay. Bits. Furioso Dreadnought bits yep. to use for my um, World Eaters Dreadnoughts. Okay. But yeah, you need two close combat weapons for one of those. Yeah. So getting back to the review, yeah, I mean, so Warhammer 40k, arguably, that the original Road Trader book did have RPG elements in it. You know, you had stats for characters that were not a part of the war game, you know, like, you know, navigators and, you know, imperial citizens, road traders, etc. You know, the whole concept was, let's sort of create this universe, and we have this sort of default stat block mechanic, you know, movement, weapon skill, ballistic skill, etc., um, it, all that was really missing from, I guess, it was the ability to go and create. You know, there was no sort of default character creation, and there were rules to sort of work out what a, you know, what stat block would be for something you wanted to sort of invent. But there was no sort of like, okay, here are balanced setup there, character creation. There was rules. absolutely no balance in any of the things. So <laughs> one person would make a rogue trader, another person makes an assassin, or a, you know, a space marine there's no balance between any of the things yeah. you're creating and I think Mike you wanted to do a call back to the old mutation chart oh, as well the old mutation chart's fantastic with some of the things you can roll up like pinhead <laughs> half your character's intelligence <laughs> perfect that's it uh, but yeah it's it's got so much great fluff in there like it's got stats on a whole bunch of 
creatures that you know literally mm-hmm. I haven't seen in 40k until the RPGs came out like Psychnution and Ambles um, sorry Amble. Amble, that's it. That's true, yeah. I mean, I can't believe it's not a number hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even stuff we've now seen, like the uh, the Eldar cats, for example, uh, Gyrix. Uh, yeah, with yeah, well, Gyrix, I think they call it. Yeah, we've seen now on the new miniatures. So, yeah, they all originally appeared in this first book thirty years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, if you're a fan of forty k and you want some nostalgia value, do try and pick up a copy of the original Road Trader. I mean, I'm not going to get out and start playing it again, or go and do the old orcs attack a farm scenario like they used to have in there, but. I think there is some great artwork in there. There's some early pictures of miniatures. There's, you know, suggestions there on how to turn yogurt tubs into scenery and into a uh, shampoo bottle into a grab tank. tank. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Back when there was like, pretty much, you know, when this book came out, you had think you had marines, a, a land raider model, and a rhino model was pretty much what they first had available. And... Pretty sure there were imperial guard models, like okay. imperial guard guardsmen, because yeah. I distinctly remember having a unit of guardsmen under my control. Yeah. And orcs, like orcs were the big one that was in orcs, at the yeah. very start. Yeah, that's it. But yeah. yeah, I think it was even before they really had the sort of orky vehicles, that sort of stuff, you know, it was... Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that... I mean, um, in that version, orcs used to use bolters as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was actually reading the history of Woman 40K in the most recent White Dwarf, and they were saying that, you know, the 40K started, the very first thing that was 40K was a space orc miniature. You know, they already had orcs in fantasy, and they did a space orc version. That was literally the first thing they did that then led on to Rick Priestley creating 40k through Rogue Trader. So there's a picture of it in the last White Dwarf. So is it a terrible model? Oh, it's what's a terrible looking orc? You know, I don't know. I mean, what define a terrible looking orc? You know, they 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 all look a bit you know runty and disjointed. And you know, I actually um, I bought some orcs recently. I, I decided for the uh, for the RPG I want to have some walks, so I bought a single squad of boys, and so I've I've built those walks, and I haven't I literally have not built orcs since Battle from a Crag, you know, since fourth edition. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've I've now got ten boys with a with a with a with a knob as well, and uh, yeah, so I've got some orc miniatures now I can use in role playing games. So oh, yeah. easy. All right, so do yourself a favour. Pick up a copy of Rogue Trader if you can get your hands on it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah and put it in your library as something to go back to it and say, well, this is where it all began. Hmm. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so we've done retrospectives on the show before. You know, we've certainly covered off the history of 40K, but I think I want to sort of talk a bit more about it because this is the 10th anniversary. We haven't got a... RPG book to currently focus on. So let, let's let's go back to talking a bit more about you know, the history of 40K and sort of our experiences with it and sort of our thoughts on some of the stuff that, that happened as such. So obviously, 87 was, you know, your original Rogue Trader, uh, but your first box set really came in second ed in, um, in, in 1993. So that was the first sort of um, Marines versus Orcs, and I think that that became, you know, the first sort of really easy to get into and, and pick up and play box set. And they've done box sets ever since, really. So, I mean, Mike, I mean, so you don't have kids as such. I suppose I should be asking this question because I've got kids as such. But So I was talking with the um, the store guy at local GW recently, and we were talking about the fact that um, go back a couple of years, and you know, a parent comes into the store and says, I, my child told me they want to learn about Warhammer, so what do I need to get? Okay, well, you need a box set. So let's say 220-odd Australian dollars. Uh, you'll need glue to put miniatures together. Uh, you probably need at least spray paint to, to base coat them, and probably a, three or four paints to give you basic colours. Um, 
Yeah, so altogether, let's say $300. And a lot of parents would say, well, it's more than I'm willing to pay for something that the child might not be interested in and just leave. You know, it costs me less to go have them try archery or try martial arts or whatever. You know? Try martial arts for six months and get them the, the costume as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, historically, that's always been a, a sort of finger that was pointed at GW was about how how much of a barrier to entry there was, especially for young players. Yeah. Um, but, you know, today now you've got, along with Dark Imperium, you've got the two smaller box sets we mentioned in a previous show, where for as little as 55 Australian dollars, you can get two armies, a ruler, scenery, board, and two people could be playing 40k and seeing if they enjoy it with press fit, no glue required, already base-coloured miniatures. Yeah. Um, and that is such a huge step for for 40k and for James Games Workshop in general as well. So oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it all started with the first box set, you know, second ed. Yeah, this is uh, uh, now I don't I, I don't remember anything pre Battle for McGregor. I'm say I don't remember the second or the third ed box set. You reminded me more likely that it was Dark Eldar in the in the third ed box set. But I literally yes, the, I literally the, the, the cannot sec- picture the in second. my head what it looked like or anything. Okay, so. so the second ed box set was Marines versus Orcs. Yep. And it was Orcs and Gretchen's monopose. Oh, I do remember that now. I remember the Gretchen, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it was it. Orcs yeah. and Gretchen monopose versus Marines monopose. Yep. And you got a cardboard cutout dreadnought and a cardboard cutout war, um, killer can. Wow, okay, this is saying they ring a bell now. Yeah, yeah, and they, they came on a little little plastic base that you stuck your cardboard <laughs> cutout on, and that, that counted as your dreadnought. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, because I mean, at that point in time, what do we have? We had you know, Eldar had been defined, Crawford Eldar. We'd seen sort of the first Tyrion stuff, but it was really just oh, and Chaos. Chaos obviously was that was out in uh, in nineteen ninety. Um, with after things like the Lost of the Dam and Slaves yeah, of Darkness, it was an yeah. Imperial Garden. I remember because it came with a little paper booklet of yeah. army lists, yeah. which had uh, that's right. Every Ch- army. Ch- chapter approved was which brought Eldar and Imperial Guard together. That's right. They were the first sort of army lists after. Road Trader, weren't they? It was Imperial yeah. Guard and Eldar. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the little paper, in, in second edition, it was a little paper army listing, which had things in it which they never actually released. Like it had um, Adeptus Mechanicus army in there yeah. that they never released a model for. Yeah. At all. Ever. And it also had squats in it, which never saw a book come out for them and just disappeared. Yep. Yeah. Oh, um, they, they were in uh, Epic for a while. Yeah, yeah. There. and they had Tyranids, which consisted of Gene Stealers, because that was my army. Yeah. And uh, at the very beginning, it was Gene Stealers, Tyranid Warriors, Patriarch, and Carnifex. And that was it. Okay. That was the entirety of your army. You had a choice of like four or five models. Okay. Mm. So it was during Second Ed that we saw the first Codex... For a single marine chapter, there was a Space Wolf Codex released in 1994. Yeah, it's annoying to fight against. <laughs> are, you, are you pointing a finger at, at, at Space at um, Space Wolf fanboys? Am I now? Uh, it, it's just that I had a friend who played Space Wolves all the time, so it was one of the main armies I played against. Yeah, them and Eldar. Yeah, they were nowhere near as sad as Eldar, they, they, but they were just marines, but better at everything. It was just a bit fanboy servicey. Okay, yeah. nice. I mean, it's funny. Like you look at um, uh, so, so we Shadow War again. I've been playing recently, and there's lots of people on the Reddit site who give advice about how to build armies and such. And it's like 
you would never not build a Space Wolf Marine Army because Space Wolves get access to more stuff. They've got the option to take yeah, like, different it, gear that you know, neither, no one else gets. gets it's like, and more skills every time they go up yeah. that no one else gets, and it's all at the same coins cost, so why yeah. wouldn't you? That's it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a controversy you won't get into right now. Um, 97, uh, we saw Adeptus Sororitas for the first time, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... There's always been the whole controversy about, you know, female Marines and such. And, of course, Sororitas sort of, I guess, to an extent, answered the people who wanted to have more more female miniatures in the game system. I mean, that they came up with medals. And uh, I actually got quite a few of the Sororitas medals. Unfortunately, um, someone borrowed them to use in a game. And I think my, my Canon S and my Seraphim never came back. So my Sororitas army is, quite, is, is greatly reduced now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I certainly had... That, that was probably... The first metal army I really um, collected in in earnest as such. Like I haven't really got many metal marines. I sort of marines I started getting when plastics were becoming more and more commonplace. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. So I spent quite a bit on on sororities and then later on grey knights as well. So um, you also saw with sororities we started to see the first necrons. Yeah. So I think necrons were probably the first alien race I saw that were really sort of just new. We hadn't I mean. They reminded me a lot of the old Chaos Cyborgs from um, from Space Crusade. Chaos Androids. Chaos Androids. Sorry, Chaos Androids. That's yes. right there. Yes. Um, but I mean, they were just a new army. What, what did you sort of think when you first saw? Same Necrons? thing. I mean, from Space Crusade, everyone. Well, sorry, everyone who played Space Crusade probably would have looked at them and gone, "Oh, Chaos Androids." Yeah. Um, virtually the same model. Um, yeah. They very different from how they are now. Yeah, I mean, back then they were space undead. Now they're more space Egyptians. Yeah, okay. which is a little bit different. It's, they've got more character, but they've lost something of their scariness. Okay, personally, yeah. I feel. Yeah, well, they're still pretty scary. Eighth edition, I can tell you now. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, third edition obviously brought in the the Dark Eldar in in, in ninety eight. Sorry, uh, and then two thousand was where we first saw the Tau. Um, the Tau was probably one thing that sort of lost a bit of 40k for me because it felt for me quite incongruous when they first appeared. It, it you know, felt like you to a, to an Asian market cash grab. Yeah, I mean, it certainly had an anime influence, definitely. Yeah. You know, so and I, and I felt that wasn't really in the whole grim darkness theme as such. You know, of 40k, but I think the Tower have found their place now in the setting as such. It was just very odd at the time it occurred. Like these, it's like oh, Gundam suddenly meets. Meets 40k, so uh, <laughs> they didn't quite know what to make of it at the time. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, Necrons were really out in earnest as a codex in 2002. Um, Battle from a Crag was the first game in t- 2004. Where I really started getting back into playing it quite a bit again, like actually buying some models for the first time again, that sort of thing, and um, getting back into uh, getting things like you know, tanks and starting to do my Grey Knights in earnest. Uh, and then after Black Reach came out in 2008, I remember I was actually in England for my honeymoon in 2008, and there was a GW store where uh, Black Reach was about to come out. So they were selling all the third ed codexes for um, two pounds each. Oh. So I picked up a whole bunch of the third ed codexes, like because obviously at that point in time, every time a new edition came out, it would take a while before codexes came out, and there were often rules in place that you use your previous edition codexes to an extent. So I think I got like 
the third edition sororitas, grey knights. I think in fourth um, edition uh, there was some codexes that didn't even come out. I don't think Dark Elder got a fourth edition codex. Yeah, I, I think that the um, my demon hunters. Oh, did demon hunters get a later one or such? I'm not sure, but um, yeah. yeah, certainly ones I've got didn't get later codexes. I don't think, but uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Then um, Dark Vengeance. The first Dark Vengeance was out in 2012, uh, and that one was sort of the first box set that started to use some really nice. Like you still had, like if you look at the the um, Dark Angels in that box set, you know, there, there was still like, okay, there's four poses times two of each of that pose, you know, plus special weapons, plus a, uh, a sergeant or such, or it might have been, you know, it's two special weapons anyway, but, you know, a, a lot more sort of generic, okay, here is, you know, Marine already posed, just stick a bolt gun to the front of him, like the old, I mean, that's right, was it, back, it was back in the, the second end box set where it was all just like a, a single hole in the middle of the Marine's chest with a bolt gun and a pin, wasn't it? You just slid that bolt just gun into the pin. slid straight into the chest. That's yeah. right, yeah, and it would break off all the time if it yeah. wasn't quite right, but... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So Dark Vengeance started to have like you know the each of the um, Terminators for the uh, Deathwing were all individual figures as such or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the move because I think uh, third and fourth edition they yeah. weren't monopose. They were they were like normal plastic sets where you could customize them like any set of Marines you'd buy. Yeah. And then they sort of went back to the monopose models. But they were more customised to make them look nice and make them more unique. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Imperial Knights came out in 2014. I mean, what were your thoughts when you first saw Imperial Knights? Um, to be honest, I've never been 100% on board with Imperial Knights. Okay. They're just so big. They're gr- absolutely fantastic as a support to an army. Yeah. I- I'll, put th- I'll put it this way. As an army on their own... I've never been impressed. Yeah. As something to add to an army, existing army, I think they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. They're fantastic models. They look great. Beautiful centerpiece for something if you want to have a really major painting project. You know, you can customise them because they're quite big, so they've got loads of space to do conversions with them. Fantastic. But as an army on its own, it always came across to me as like, well, if you really want an army of four guys, is this the game for you? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. It's just personal opinion. 2014 was when we saw 7th edition, including sort of an update of Dark Vengeance, and that was while we were doing this show. I mean, I remember we actually went along to a Games Workshop store for their big event. They had looking like artworks, and um, we picked up our our copy on the day. And so, you know, at this point, we're already covering the game because of the RPG. So, um, and then, you know, since then, we've had. Genes to the Colts, Admech, you know, sort of mechanics, that those sort of things got rules for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Genes to the Colts hasn't had rules since. 20, 20, 20 years. It was 20 years they went between yeah. updates for Genes to the Colts, you know, so you didn't get your limos back. But no. You got no. <laughs> no, still no limos back, unfortunately. Yeah. But never mind. Um, and then obviously, 2017, we've, had, we've seen the Gathering Storm and now the release of Dark Imperium, where, you know, it's probably one of the first, it's probably the first major I would say sort of storyline update since about 2000 with the Battle of Armageddon that was probably the last major yeah. storyline progression I mean certainly we've seen things like you know, you know Ezekiel Abaddon's various Black Crusades and the effects there and the Gothic War but I think probably the, the sort Tyranid of the, War and all that sort of stuff but that was more just filling out the backstory of where some of these things yeah, came from the Armageddon campaign was more sort of based on meta campaign of uh, play, what players were actually doing in stores as well, you know, and they've got yeah. this. Is, is it Crondor or something right now, or is yeah, this yeah, current yeah. Me, meta campaign as such, where 
Uh, th- that one's a bit I odd. I think like, that ended yesterday. I think. I think it did. I think this was last week, yeah. yeah. So the idea there was that um, you go into stores, you get you generate points for buying things, points for painting things, points for playing games. Yeah. Um, and you get bonus points. Each week had like a... Uh, theme. A theme. And you got bonus points if you're doing that sort of thing. You know? So last week was Lords of War, for example. So if you bought or painted or played with Lord of War, you got bonus points. Uh, and obviously, if you if you won, you got bon- you got more points as well. And the idea was that um, it's uh, chaos versus Imperium, and effectively they just total up the points and they work out. You know, each region of the world was assigned to one of the planets or one of the regions on the planet in the sort of the meta campaign, and then you work out you know yeah. what and was the progress of chaos. Xenos could add or subtract their total. That's what I found Yeah, you know, because I think there are a lot of Xenos players out there who I think might think might might have felt a bit sort of disconnected from the fact that they, they couldn't really win as well, such. But they, they could certainly influence the outcome. They could even make it very difficult for Imperial or very easy for them. And I think yeah. in the first couple of weeks... I think Chaos only won one week. Uh, last uh, I, they, they, I think they won... Uh, was it was out of five weeks? Out of six. Out of six. Six weeks. I know that they won two in a row. They okay. did win two in a row. Okay, because I think, I, think, so I think the first three went to Imperium. Then two went it to Chaos. Been, okay, sorry. But they were, very, they were very close, and they got slightly less close. So it, yeah. it was... Uh, I think first week was was a massive win for Imperium. Second week, not quite as big. Third week, very close win. Then yeah. very close win for Chaos. Then slightly bigger win for Chaos. And then I don't know what's happened this last week. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, they've done a lot with the storyline now. And they're yep. doing more. And I think that one of the things I took away from the chat with Ross earlier in the show was the fact that the uh, the the writers now of the RPG get to contribute towards the canon because we've seen already, you know, the canon has adjusted itself because of stuff that's happened in the RPG. You know, the re- reference to you know the the Crusade from from uh, Death Watch as well, you know, appearing in uh, other other canon material. So yeah, I mean. We're not just playing a static game anymore. We're playing a, a living a living world as such, uh, and you know so everything in in the Imperium is always such large scale. Like things happen over hundreds, not thousands of years. But we have seen now, you know, the the clock is moving forward. Yeah, you know, that, that they are progressing, and yeah, I think it's a thirty years on. It's an exciting time to be involved. You know, uh, I, I I don't see them adding more races anytime soon. I, I hope not. I think I've got the right amount. No, I, um, I think that they could add some more races. Yeah? yeah I think so they need to add some more just generic Xenos races. Think, Even uh, just like a generic Xenos codex where you can just convert up whatever the hell you want. Because it feels I'd like... I'd love it, to see it. To get to the point that the other armies are at now feels like such a long way to go from nothing to having a complete army list with troops and HQs and elites and fast attacks and heavies and Lords of War, etc. Well, I, I don't think it's going to be something they're going to do until they've released all the other army. Well, I'd hope it wouldn't be no, something no. they do until they've released all the other army list. Yeah. But I think that, you know, going forward, they do have to do something. Yeah. I mean, the Anaria are technically something fresh. Even though this way up with existing um, Eldar and Dark Eldar and Harlequins, you know, but they are still, I guess, a sort of fresh concept. A fresh faction. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. it. All right, I think we've spoken all we can about 30 years of 40k. I let's, think so. um, Let's plan another show in um, in 2047 when it, they do 60 years just to sort of... Just to keep it going. Yeah, yeah catch up from this point moving forward, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's close out the show. All out.
astropaths to the choir chamber. Message incoming. All right. At the end of the show here, we normally talk about any feedback we've gotten and any reviews we've gotten. Uh, I've seen no new reviews in the last couple of weeks. Uh, feedback. There's been a whole bunch of stuff going on about our website with people sort of, you know, saying thanks for still going and you know looking forward to anything to do with, uh, with Roth and Glory. So no real questions, you know. But if you do ever have questions for us or you want to sort of contribute something to the show, there's many ways to do it. You can email us through uh, show at grimdartpodcast.com. Our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google page is plus.google.com slash plus on grimdartpodcast. And we tweet through at grimdartpodcast. And don't forget, we still have our uh, voicemail link on our uh, on our webpage on the right-hand side. I've actually got to I'll just remind it. It's, it's four days till I've got to renew our domain name as well. So I don't want to make sure we want to make sure we don't we don't lose that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, certainly I've been I've been maintaining our, our service for the uh, for the Speakpipe service. Although we've had no uh, voicemails in over a year now, but I'm hoping as we get close to episode 100 that I'm going to actually call upon people to sort of you know leave us voicemails that we can play during our. 100th episode but that is still 14 episodes or roughly 28 weeks away so yeah i've started planning for that but uh yeah there's a lot of lot of work to get ready for the 100th episode and you know hopefully in 28 weeks time we're closer to knowing a lot more about wrath and glory too so there'll be more to celebrate i'm you know fingers crossed yeah but uh, anyway thank you for listening to the show today i hope that you enjoyed i know it's a bit different from our normal format we've sort of moved a bit away from the existing rpgs where we just focus on getting our head around what's happening with wrath and glory uh, we might end up getting back into doing some stuff with the other existing RPGs, you know, once the news format becomes sort of slow and steady. Uh, but, you know, 30th anniversary of 40K, we couldn't not do a sort of a 40K focused episode. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I can't tell you what you're going to get next next time we get together, but we will have something for you then. And we've actually got another interview we want to do as well. So a person involved in the, uh, the original RPGs has actually reached out to us about catching up on the show too. So, yeah, we might be able to get some more sort of interest in interviews incoming episodes so we do hope you join us then thank you Mike for joining us tonight thank you all for listening and we will see you next time thank you very much this podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games Warhammer 40,000 Dark Heresy Rogue Trader Death Watch Black Crusade Only War Eternal Crusade and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc all other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Media Valley, music.mibio.com. <laughs>